Well, a few years ago, I was in staff meeting, and during my staff meeting, my vision started getting blurry. I had some papers in front of me that I was trying to read, and, and it just started out at the focal point, and I couldn't read it there, and then it started to spread, and over the next few minutes, I completely lost my vision, and I started to panic. I thought, I think somebody needs to take me to the doctor. We had an eye doctor in the church, and so we called him, and he said, yeah, come on in, come on in right now. And so I went over to the doctor. He did all of these tests, and then he came out with the diagnosis. He says, Shane, you have a migraine. He says, you have what is called an ocular migraine. It's usually brought on by low blood sugar or being dehydrated. And I have to be honest with you, I felt like an idiot, you know, that I had gone to the eye doctor because I had a migraine. I had never discovered this before. Well, these days, something different is happening to my eyesight, and I am totally in denial. My family keeps telling me that I need glasses, and I keep assuring them that I do not need glasses. I just keep enlarging the font on my iPhone. I noticed a few years ago, I could not read my Bible on stage. When I was, when I was trying to speak, I couldn't read my Bible, so I ordered the large print Bible. I thought, I'm just going for it. I was going to order a brand new Bible. This is large print. Now, the problem is I'm having trouble reading the large print Bible that I ordered. This is, this is a big problem for me. Well, we're in the middle of this series, just a three-week series that we are calling Optics. And what's true for you and me is the way that you see your life, the way that you see this world is based on these lenses by which we see God. See, the way that you, you view God when you put on whatever lenses you have will affect every part of the way that you see your life. And most of us, we've created this formula for happiness that looks like this. It's the good circumstances equals good feelings. As long as your circumstances are good, you feel good about life. But then the opposite is true as well, that bad circumstances equal bad feelings. And as soon as the circumstances begin to turn bad, you begin to wonder why God has abandoned you, why God has left you. Some of you, this is what caused you to go, well, maybe there isn't a God. Maybe, you know, if God cares about me, maybe, maybe he's not there. Why is all of this stuff happening? Well, the Bible does not give us a formula for happiness. Instead, the Bible gives us a promise of hope. And that formula looks like this, is that a great God equals great hope. That a great God equals great hope. See, happiness depends on your circumstances, but hope, it is based on the promises of God. And in this series, we're focusing in on the life of Joseph. And Joseph comes from one of the most dysfunctional families in the Bible. Now, if you thought that the Bible is full of just perfect families, nothing could be further from the truth. This ought to make you feel better about your family. Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob's favorite wife. Now, you heard me correct in that. Jacob has four wives. So Joseph not only has a mother, he has three stepmothers and a bunch of stepbrothers. And last week, we looked at the early part of Joseph's life. Because he was his father's favorite son, his dad gives him this coat of many colors that just shouted out to everyone that he was the favorite of everyone. And his brothers hated him so much, they decided to kill him. 
But at the last minute, instead of killing him, they decided to sell him to some merchants that were passing through. And they sold him into slavery. And they took this coat of many colors and they dipped it in goat's blood and they brought it back to their dad. And they said, we don't know what happened, but he must have been killed by an animal. And it just breaks Jacob's heart. And he's never the same again. Well, Joseph goes in as a slave into Egypt And he's sold as a slave to a very powerful official. And he begins to run this official's entire household. Until this official's wife comes to Joseph, propositions him to go to bed with her, and he refuses. And she accuses him of rape. And he's thrown into prison, and he's seemingly forgotten. And throughout the story, it just says that the Lord was with Joseph. Which case we want to say, well, no way. Because if God was with Joseph, none of this stuff would have happened. Well, the question for you and me is how would you respond in your current circumstances if you were confident that God was with you? How would you respond? See, we find ourselves in different circumstances. Some of you find yourself in good circumstances right now. Some of you feel like circumstances are bad right now. Well, what would your life look like if you responded in every situation like God was with you? See, that right there has the ability to change your life. See, here's what often happens to us. See, when we're in need, we pray. We're desperate for God to show up. But when we're not in need, we don't pray. We kind of forget about God. We kind of forget that we have a need for God. Well, when you look at Joseph, Joseph, when he's in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, it did not erode his faith in God. And today, Joseph will go from the prison to incredible power and prosperity, and that as well does not cause him to forget about God and what God has done in him. See, it's one thing to pass the test of faith in hard times. A lot of us have been there. It's quite another to pass the test of faith in prosperous times. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 41. Last week, we left off Joseph. We left off his life when his life was on pause. He's thrown into prison, and he says to this cupbearer, this cupbearer to the king, who was also thrown into prison, he says, if you ever get out of here, he says, remember me. But he doesn't remember him. And this is where we left off last week in chapter 40, verse 23, where it says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. In today's story, God is going to take Joseph's life off of pause, and we're going to see what God does with him. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 41. It says, When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. At this point, Joseph has been in Egypt for 13 years. He was sold into slavery when he was 17. He's 30 years old at this point. And it's not just the cupbearer that has forgotten about Joseph. It seems like God has forgotten about him as well. Because he's been in prison for two years. And God is going to take Joseph's life off of pause. And Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has this dream that he doesn't know what to do with it. And in this dream, Pharaoh is standing by the Nile River. And he has this dream that there is these seven fat cows, healthy cows, that come out on the shore of the Nile River. And then these seven scrawny, unhealthy cows come out of the Nile River, and they end up eating the fat cows. And then he wakes up. 
You know, it's one of those dreams you have. You're like, okay, now what did that mean? Well, he falls asleep again. And he has another dream. And this time he dreams that there are seven healthy heads of grain that sprout out of the ground. And then there are seven unhealthy heads of grain that are wind-torn, and they overtake the strong ones. And then he wakes up again. We'll pick up our story here in verse 8. It says, In the morning his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men in Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. The cupbearer is like, oh yeah, there was this guy. He's like, you remember when you threw me into prison? No, no hard feelings. I'm not saying anything about that. But when I was in prison, there was this guy and he can interpret dreams. I wonder if he could help you. So verse 14 says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, that you can interpret it. I want to just call a time out here for just a minute. Because this is a moment that all of us will be a part of. That Joseph is facing an opportunity of a lifetime that can change his future forever. He's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world, the one who has the power to get him out of the dungeon, to restore him, and this will happen to all of us. In our world, this is a job opportunity. This is some deal that comes through that you've been working on for a long time. This is a promotion or inheritance. This is that opportunity of a lifetime. And our temptation when we face a moment like that is just to do whatever it takes to close the deal. We just say whatever they want to hear. And it's sometimes in these environments that we change, that we begin to shade the truth just a little bit. We begin to cut corners and we'll compromise a value and we'll go, okay, well, that's not that important anymore. We forget about a commitment that we made to God. All of us know people who have, who have had an opportunity. Maybe you know someone who came into money or they were promoted into a position, and when that happened, they completely changed. Their value system changed. They began to compromise things that they never would have compromised before. The way someone responds to the test of opportunity, to the test of prosperity, may tell you more about their character than someone who faces the test of trials. We're going to go on here in verse 16. He says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. Well, everyone in the room would have gasped because in Egyptian culture, the Pharaoh was considered a god. And Joseph begins to talk to the guy who thinks that he is a god about the god. Joseph, you know, it says, my God is bigger than your God. My God is bigger than you. And we want to say to Joseph, hey, just calm it down just a little bit. You don't need to say too much. Just kind of, just ease into this. You've been in the dungeon. This guy has the power to get you someplace else. Don't talk about God. But while God was with him in prison, God is with him here. And Pharaoh tells him the dream, and he begins to interpret the dream. Verse 29. He says, these seven cows and seven sprouts, they represent seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. 
Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. He says that the famine is going to be so bad, it's going to go from recession to depression. It's going to go from bad to worse, and the recession is going to be so severe that the entire world is going to forget about these good years that came before it. Verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. He keeps talking about God to this guy who thinks that he is a God. And then Joseph does the unthinkable. He goes from interpreting the dream to giving advice. Now he's going to go and he's going to begin to talk about the game plan of what Pharaoh needs to do. I mean, it's, it seems like this boldness or maybe even this brashness, unless he believes that God is with him. And he begins to give him advice, verse 33. He says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should not be held in reserve for the this food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. See, here's what we typically do in times of abundance. We spend everything that we have thinking that it's always going to last. We think that, that these days are always going to be here. Well, Joseph has a plan and he's put it together. He says, you take a fifth of all the harvest for the next seven years and you store it away. You just put it away because it's not always going to be like this. You're not always going to be in this time of abundance. Well, this sounds like a great idea to Pharaoh. Verse 37, it says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and he put a gold chain around his neck. And if you notice this, Joseph gets a new coat. The first coat had been taken away. The second coat sent him to prison and he gets a new coat. He gets this new promotion. As Pharaoh says, you're going to be in charge of all of this. Joseph becomes the most powerful man in Egypt behind Pharaoh. So how does he become from being a slave to being second in command? It's because God is writing his story. See, you have no idea what God could do through you what might happen if you and I took all of our talents and our resources and said, I'm just going to be God's man wherever God has me. I'm just going to be God's woman wherever God has placed me, regardless of the circumstances. Here's what it says in verse 46. It says, Joseph was 30 years old when he had um, entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. 
He's 30 years old, and for the next 14 years, he's the second most powerful man in the world. And he sees his life through a different perspective. See, his bad circumstances did not strip him of his faith in God. And now his prosperity and his power doesn't strip him of his faith. See, a lot of people, they become Christians at the bottom. You know, when everything is falling apart, you're faced with some trial or circumstance. I bet there's a lot of you who have that kind of a story, that you finally came back to God because you were desperate, that life fell apart. And so it, God finally got your decision, and that's what caused you to finally take your first steps back to God. There's a lot of us like that. But there are very few people who pass the test of prosperity. Not very many people come to Christ on the way back up at the top. See, it's difficult to declare your dependence on God when you have everything that you need when life is going well. So how do you honor God when God has prospered you? How do you honor God when God has given you opportunities in your life? How do you continue to live your life knowing that God is with you even in those moments as well? Well, I have three applications for you. Here's the first one, that when God has prospered you, you declare your dependence publicly. You declare your dependence on God publicly. See, Joseph declared his dependence on God in the most intimidating environment. He's standing before the man who has the power to kill him or to promote him, and he declares his dependence on God. You probably know the name Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was, was with the Denver Broncos. He helped... Um, you know, he helped lead them to the playoffs several years ago. It was one of the most exciting playoff games of all times, unless you're a Steelers fan, and then not so much. But he actually rose to prominence playing quarterback for the Florida Gators. He was the Heisman Trophy winner in 2007. And as a Christian, he was always looking for a way to share his faith. And so he began to put a Bible verse on the black underneath his eyes for every game. He put Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I was at a conference with, with Tim just a few months ago, and he was talking about this. That it was in 2009 that he played in the college football national championship game. And he decided that he was going to change the verse to John 3.16. This is the verse that says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Well, the problem was the coach was concerned. The coach wasn't concerned that he was putting a Bible verse under his eyes. The coach was concerned that he was changing the Bible verse. Because you know how it is in sports. Everybody's kind of superstitious. You know, if you were wearing that underwear when you won, you know, you have to wear that underwear for the rest of your life. You know, it's just that type of thing. So he says, don't change the Bible verse now. You know, go back to the old one. Tim said, I just feel like God's telling me to change it. And so he had that for that game. Well, come to find out, the, the press came and reported to the, the coach that 94 million people Googled John 3.16 during that game. 94 million people. And Tebow said, he goes, I had no idea that 94 million people didn't know what that scripture was. But he says, I'm out playing a silly game, and I put these things under my eyes, and it's amazing what God can do. So what does it look like for you to publicly declare your dependence on God? You probably don't have a platform like that, but you have a platform. I have a friend of mine who's been blessed financially. At one point, he had lost it all, and he's been blessed financially, and he's quick to point out it all comes from God. 
He's quick to show that it all comes from God and he takes his responsibility of generosity seriously. See, you are are in a place where God has entrusted you. And you will find yourself in a place where you can take all the credit for what's happened in your life or you can point towards God and what God has done. And for some of you, as I talk about this, you can't even imagine doing this. But if your kids are really sick, you'd talk about God. If you were faced with a health issue, you would talk about God. And so if we can't do that in our success, then we failed the test of prosperity. We have to figure out how to declare our faith, not in an offensive way. We don't need anybody else doing that in an offensive way, but in an appropriate way that points to God. You declare your dependence on God. Number two is you leverage what you have for others. You leverage what you have for others. We're going to see more about how Joseph did this next week. But you need to sit down regularly and ask, how do I leverage what I've been given to me for other people? Because God didn't bless me just for me. God blessed me so I could be this resource to bless other people. It's to leverage what you have. And sometimes we live out of fear. It's like, well, what if? You know, what if this happens or what if that happens? And for some of us, we live out of fear instead of faith. When we have nothing, we're like, God, you can have it all. God, that car with 150,000 miles, you can have it. Please take it. I don't want a bag. Just take it. But see, it's coming to this place of going, God, it's, it's all yours. See, I think every once in a while, we need to put it all on the table. All of our time, all of our talents, all of our resources, and just go, okay, God, I'm all in. God, I, I'm all in. For three years, I led a Bible study at a local company here in Las Vegas. Every Thursday at 7 o'clock, I would show up to the conference room, and we had 10 or 15 people from this company who would come to the Bible study, and I just led them through the Bible over the next three years. This company was getting ready to go public, and the owner knew something was about to happen. A bunch of these guys were about to become millionaires when the company went public, and he wanted to prepare them. So over these next three years, We saw a bunch of them surrender their life to Jesus, ended up baptizing five or six of them. And all of that happened because someone decided to leverage what they had for the sake of other people. See, what's God saying to you? How do you begin to leverage what you have for others? Because God has blessed you, not just for you, but to be a blessing to other people. And you begin to leverage that. See, this is part of the test of prosperity, part of the test of opportunity that God has given us. Number three, number three, when God has prospered you, you remember where you came from. You remember where you came from. Look at this scripture out of Genesis chapter 41. It says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Now, Manasseh in the Hebrew sounds like the word forget. And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim. The name Ephraim sounds like the Hebrew word twice fruitful. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. That Joseph used his son's names as a reminder of what God had done. He used his son's name as this daily reminder of God's involvement in his life. So in your life, you need some physical reminders of what God has brought you through. For years, I carried this 
card in my Bible for probably 10 years. This is actually the, the program for my dad's memorial service. And the reason that I carried this in my Bible is it just reminded me of the, my heritage of faith. That my dad was the one who led me to Jesus. And I watched my dad honor God with his life and he served God. He was faithful until the day that he went home. And it's just a reminder of where I've come from. So who I belong to, I belong to Jesus. And my family has gone before me and they've shown the way. I have all kinds of reminders at my house and in my office. But this is another very important one to me. These two nails right here, they came out of a mission house in Ecuador. That it was a mission house, and you may recognize the names of the missionaries. It was Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. Back in 1948, they moved to Ecuador to, to win, to try to win this local tribe that was there. And they built Nate Saint's house that became the mission house for Aviation Christian Fellowship. And they began to share their faith. It's a very famous story. In 1956, they were killed. All the missionaries were killed by these um, natives that were there, this tribe. And Elizabeth Elliot decided she was going to stay. Everybody else left after these missionaries were killed, but she decided to stay and she raised her children in the midst of this tribe who had killed her husband. And she ended up bringing them to Jesus. This entire tribe ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And now, three generations later, they still have a presence. And this entire, this entire tribe all knows Jesus. Well, these nails came out of the house that Jim Elliott and Nate Saint built back in 1948, and they rebuilt it just a few years ago. And for me, this is a reminder of those who have gone before me who paid the price for the gospel, what the gospel's worth, that it's worth giving your life for. It's just a reminder for me. So what are your daily reminders of what God has brought you through? You need those reminders because it's so easy to forget See, in success, it makes us think that we are something. You need reminders that remind you it is God who is something. That it all came from Him. So what are your daily reminders of God's faithfulness? When God has prospered you, when God has given you opportunity, you declare your dependence on God publicly. You leverage what you have for others because God has blessed you so you can leverage that for other people. And you remember where you came from. See, it's easy to come to God when you're at the bottom because we're desperate for God to show up. But maybe the greater test of faith is when you begin an opportunity, when God has blessed you, when he's prospered you, when he's put you in a position of influence. So here's the question for you. What are you going to do with the opportunity that God has given you? What are you going to do with the opportunity that God has given you? Because it's not just for you. It's for Him. Let's pray together. And maybe it's beginning to, to just talk about your life and go, okay, God, it's all yours. I'm laying it all before you all of it. You've entrusted me with opportunities, time and talents and resources that can be used for kingdom efforts. God, we come to you and we thank you for, 
for not only seeing us through the difficult circumstances of our life, but God blessing us, giving us more than we deserve. And God, we want to pass the test of faith when it comes to the opportunities that you've given us, that you've entrusted us, and we want to be faithful. So God, teach us how to do that with our life. We thank you for Jesus who gave his life for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.